Now that you've taken that 10 seconds or so to, to name what it is that you're feeling, we're going we're gonna to start off on, on our topic for today. And the topic today that we're exploring is how joy coexists with circumstances and other emotions. And in fact, joy outlasts our circumstances. Joy outlasts our other emotions. The text we're going to look at is in Philippians 1, verses 18 through 21. Go ahead and pull out your Bible or your device. Let me give you some context as we start. See, Philippians finds Paul in prison. And, and as he's in prison, there's some other preachers going around. And these preachers either don't like Paul or they disagree with Paul. There's definitely some tension between Paul and these other preachers. And, and there's some mixed motives at best about these preachers. The reason that they're preaching is, is a little shady. But we know it's pretty easy to be critical of people like this, right? It's pretty easy to be like, oh, Paul's the good guy and they're the bad guys. But in truth, often with myself and most likely with you, we experience mixed motives. Sometimes we recognize it within ourselves. Sometimes we're very unaware. But I know for me, I'm not ready to say that my motives are always 100% pure. And so I understand the, the humanness of this situation. But it's brought up to Paul that, hey, there's some people preaching Christ and they don't seem to be real big fans of you. What should we do about this? And so when Paul is asked if he wanted to confront these preachers, he responds in this way. He says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. See, this is like a holy whatever as long as Christ is preached. And that's Paul's end goal. That's what he's really about. And so whether he's best friends with the other preachers or whether their motives are impure, Paul chooses to just show great joy. And then he moves on. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul says what he's leaning on here. He's leaning on the prayers of the people. We just explored prayers for several months. We know the power of that. And so he, he says that he's leaning in on the fact and feeling joy about the fact that the people are praying for him. And that the spirit of Jesus Christ is at work within him, in his situation, bringing deliverance. But the question that comes up throughout all church history, scholars are always wondering, what does deliverance look like? We want to know too, right? Is this deliverance that, that he's going to be out of prison by Saturday? Or is he writing about the kind of deliverance where he'll be out of this evil world and the sufferings of this world and he'll be in heaven? Which one is it? Or is it both? I know in my life, I always seem to have one solution that I prefer. I'm not proud of it, but I try to nudge God my way, sure that it's right. It's become aware to me that I've lived under enough privilege that, that when something breaks the wrong way, I start to get real fuzzy in my theology. 
something goes against what I think, I start to give evil a whole lot of credit. And I tend to get blurry on who God is. And not all of us, but some of us, well, we've experienced the same. I was real convicted about a month ago reading James Cone's book, The Spirituals and the Blues. It's about the origins of the spirituals and the blues in the South. And that even under slavery, these slaves didn't ever get confused about evil. They never saw evil as more powerful than God, and so they continued to write songs that we know of as the spirituals that had evil in its place. It existed. They nodded to it, but they never bowed to it. They also never got confused about God's character. God was always good. Though slavery remained, and they wanted slavery to end, and they wanted their freedom, and they wanted the dignity of being recognized, they knew God was God. And interestingly, they continued to sing of heaven. But as they sang of heaven, heaven represented both the freedom of the north or Canada, or if they can't ever be there, at least it represented this moment where they would be recognized as fully human in the presence of God in heaven. And I bring this up because this is the heritage. These women and men who knew slavery, this is the heritage that's given to us. It's the same spirit as Paul's words where he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. See, the circumstances that I face, the circumstances we face together sometimes can make things blurry. But right now we have a chance. Right now we have a choice. And I say God is who God has always said that he is and it's proved that he is in our midst. And we do experience some evil, but let's not misplace where the power is and where the authority is. Let's follow Paul's lead, let's follow those who came ahead of us. Let me unpack this verse real quick. Paul says the word ashamed. He says, I will in no way be ashamed. Now this ashamed is not, I, I, I will not be embarrassed. Like I'll be embarrassed by wearing a t-shirt or someone catching me praying or carrying a Bible to my car. This ashamed here is out of a shame-based culture. This is Paul saying that he isn't going to be found wanting. He isn't going to be left disappointed by God not being God. He's not going to be disappointed by God all of a sudden turning out to be not good or not powerful or not merciful or not just. He's convinced that God is exactly who God says that he is and he'll never be ashamed by that. And instead of being left wanting, Paul prays that he'll have sufficient courage. Other translations say this word is boldness. That he'll boldly live where Jesus is exalted, either in his living or in his dying. Daniel McGlory writes, the boldness of which Paul speaks is not mere bravado or swagger. Nor is it an expression of bitterness and anger towards one opponent. 
as the larger context of Paul talks of boldness makes clear. His boldness is linked to his joyous confidence in the love of God made known in Jesus Christ. This joyous confidence bursting out of Paul from prison, from these circumstances we don't want. He continues to write, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Some of us would see this as a lose-lose, to live in prison, eh, to die, no way. Paul, he writes that to live is great because he lives for Christ's glory then. And people benefit because he can go and share the good news. But to die is great because, well, then he gets to see Christ. And so he's joyous either way. No matter what comes, it's for God and God's glory. So back to our present moment. Here we are virtually on our last Sunday at 1212. We've invested time and money into this building, into this neighborhood. We don't know exactly where we're going next. And I'm, yet I'm confident that God is going with us. I'm confident that God is going to make clear to us who it is that he's birthing us to be, and that we can go forward in joy. And yet I realize there's a real question. What about where we were? What about our time spent here that seemed like preparation for something? What about all the money that we spent? Did it matter? Was it wasted? As I've talked to people through COVID, we've had the same question about our own individual lives. There's a panic that some are feeling about significance, about the meaning of their life, about their lasting influence. Well, again, today is All Saints Day. And some of us don't remember or were never taught what that is. It, it comes out of the Catholic Church, the early church, and, and it was when different saints were given different days, like Jesus was given December 25th to celebrate. And then the disciple John was given December, or I'm sorry, Stephen was given December 26th. The disciple John was given December 27th. The, the children that were killed by Herod in the early Gospels were given December 28th, and day after day, eventually we ran out of days where, where you would have to double up and triple up on days for saints. And so November 1st was declared All Saints Day. And All Saints Day is a day that's where we celebrate the lives of the saints before us. And this was especially important during persecution and pandemics and pain. This was especially important to produce a boldness within people. This was not a somber holiday. This was a holiday where we were filled with confidence that the God who was is the God who is. And then November 2nd, tomorrow, is its own part of this. It's a two-day holiday. The first day we celebrate the saints of the larger church, and November 2nd, like in, in Mexico, is known in English as the Day of the Dead. Some of us are afraid of that 
Some of us think that that's something that's outside of our faith, but really many Protestants also celebrated November 2nd. And what that day was, was a day where the local church would acknowledge the loss of people that they loved. So it's a day we would gather as one church and acknowledge that we lost people this year and we're never going to forget them that they matter and they made their mark on us. It's a, it's a day to remember our saints, our loved ones. The day where the church gathers and names the people who have not made it into next year to ensure they're not forgotten, to ensure that their legacies live on. And here's one thing that I know. For one church, wherever we physically end up, We are always called to be a church that remembers. We're to be a church that remembers what God did in Scripture, but also what God has done in our stories, collectively and individually. We're we're, We're called to be a church that remembers one another. A place that remembers the loved ones who who shaped you, who helped form you, who helped you become you. You see, there's this this musical I like. You might not know that I like musicals. I do. There's one called Hadestown. And Hades is, is known as this place where you punch in for work and you never punch out. And you have eyes, but you can't see and recognize anybody around you. And no one remembers their own name. And I think of that, and I think of the way that our world operates here, and it operates much the same, but our church is called to joyfully live in defiance to this. You see, we rest as our Heavenly Father invites us to Sabbath, even though the world says just work and work again. Where the world says rush past one another, we trust that God will bless our eyes to see one another and His kingdom at work. And where there's debate and painful words about which lives matter. Or people who will remember one another's names. Who will remember one another's stories. See, we know how important this is. This is why the protest chants, you say her name. This is why in our families, there's often family names that are passed down where we're named after uncles or grandfathers or grandmothers. This is why we'll always remember our friends at Fourth and Oak. We'll remember those who've died in this last year. You see, our community isn't the same today as it was. We're virtual, and I know that there is this nagging wonder and and fear about the fact that this might go on longer and longer. Now without a building, it's tempting to feel even more lost. But here's what I want you to know. We might be leaving this space, but we won't be forgotten. The work that you did at Fourth and Oak, the worship that you offered here, the times that you met 
your neighbors and recognize the presence of God within each other, that's eternal work. That's lasting. That changed lives forever. And our address might change, but that work remains. And we're not to be ashamed. You're in a community here that will never forget you. We know each other's names. And if you're new to our community, then I invite you to reach out and put your name even on the block here. Send an email to me. Put, put a post on Facebook, something. We, we can know each other. We can know each other's story. We can celebrate the people here at one church. We can, we can recognize that this work is eternal. See, there's a lot of change all over the place. And there's space and time to grieve that. But we can do it in joy. There's space to hold both grief and joy, knowing that whatever your emotion that you named, joy will outlast it. And whatever circumstances you're facing, joy will outlast it. And, and the prayers of God's people and the spirit of Jesus will work for our deliverance just like it did in Paul. See, we're invited into this Boldness defined by joy. Remember joy last week. This joy that's grounded in the fact that God is with us and we're his beloved. And nothing, not COVID, not moving out of 1212, nothing can change that. Amen. Amen.